this where we do introductions i guess i guess guess so do you want to tell us who you are sure my name is elizabeth nelson and i am a singer songwriter in the band the paranoid style i'm amy rigby and i'm a musician a songwriter writer and uh we're here looking for the magic nice so how are you, Amy? I, I'm okay. I'm doing pretty well after a crazy couple weeks, couple months. What about you? You've had a lot to deal with uh, personally. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks starting with the election. And then um, my dad got sick. But, you know, um, it seems like the election went in a, a direction that I can sign for and my father is improving so I'm better than I have been previously (laughs) so uh yeah it's it's great have you been um listening or reading to anything that you recommend I have I uh, just finished reading Peter Frampton's book nice which I um you know was kind of been looking forward to uh I discovered him with Frampton Comes Alive only in retrospect you know learned about you know that he was in Humble Pie and The Herd and just you know had this um really started at a super young age playing amazing guitar and it was just such an engaging book he just seems like a lovely lovely person and uh it, it just left me feeling pleased for him to have kind of like gotten gone through this whole crazy ride of having like the biggest selling album of all time um, in the 70s and how crazy that must have been and just to be so humble and down to earth and anyway I really recommend the book that's awesome I will totally check that out I also am I'm in the middle right now of um, Chris France's um, oh. "Remain in Love" uh, memoir yeah. about being in the Talking Heads, and I'm I'm kind of just actually not even in the middle of it. I, I guess I'm still in the beginning because he hasn't even gotten out of college yet, so they haven't really started Talking Heads. Um, he hasn't even met Tina yet, so uh, but so far so good. Uh, he is. Um, He's he's very very interesting. His life is is completely um, unlike mine in that you know he was sort of a child of extreme privilege. It sounds like and seemed to just kind of float through life at least early on. So I'm I, but I am excited to get to the point where they put the band together and work with David. And it's uh, I you know I think it's going to be getting wild pretty soon. I'm I'm looking forward to reading that. I had no idea that he. Um 
I dipped into it a little bit. What when I found out that he had like Pittsburgh beginnings, um, and I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I had no idea all this time. You know, I kind of thought I knew about him a little bit, but anyway, I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, it's funny. I actually thought of you because he does talk about being in and around Pittsburgh. And I had wondered if maybe the two of you had like crossed paths at any point when you were kids, because I I don't know. I thought maybe you guys were like, you know, hanging around the same kind of clubs or something. Well, there was like no I mean, when I when I was growing up in Pittsburgh, Um, The drinking age was 21, unlike the surrounding states, West Virginia, Ohio, New York, New Jersey, they were all 18. And so Pennsylvania was just like this kind of closed off where I don't, there were no clubs to go to for somebody who was like, you know, a teenager. (laughs) And, um, and I, and I left when I was 17 anyway, and I went to New York City. Well, he was already there by then too. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, unless we'd been in some, some like, you know, like dancing class together, you know, where you did like, like were you <laughs> like some awkward, like where kids, you know, did like sort of pretended to do ballroom dancing or something. And the boys wore little suits and the girls mm-hmm. wore like <laughs> puffy dresses. It, we, yeah, we have, would have never, never encountered each other, but, um, right. but I'm looking forward to finding out like where he hung out and stuff growing up there. Yeah, I, I think you'll dig it. Um, I'll let you know how it goes if it actually goes south. But I, I have I have really high hopes. I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, so cool. So I guess this week we're going to talk about, you know, actually meeting your heroes. It doesn't sound like you got to meet Chris France. Um, I'm assuming you haven't met Peter Frampton. Um, I, I actually, it's crazy, but I played a show at the Bluebird in Nashville probably about 20 years ago and he was in the audience I I mean and I I didn't thankfully did not find out till after the show because I would have been terrified you know because it's such a small place it only Mm -hmm. holds like I don't know under 100 people so you know had I known that he was there I would have just thought like oh my god one of my like you know teen idols is sitting in the room with me but um but no, other than that, I, I haven't like come in that close of proximity. That's crazy! Him. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I know, and he he does at the time he wasn't living in Nashville, but he he was kind of going there, and and I think he does actually live there now. But um, so he was yeah, like hanging out, playing with people down there, and writing mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. songwriters there as as many musicians end up there eventually because yeah. yeah it's just kind of a good good place to get get music stuff done but um but no I didn't uh I did <laughs> I didn't I get to to meet him and make a fool of myself like I did <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking um I've been lucky to meet a few heroes but um there was a pretty recent one. This was about a year ago. I was out in California doing um, a tour for my book and playing gigs, but I had a night off and a friend invited me to go see Richard Thompson wow. at this really cool, cool theater in Santa Cruz. And he was like a, 
film producer, uh, Eric Nelson is his name. And he's worked on stuff with Richard and he was like, I can't believe you've never met him and you two should like, like meet up. And so he wanted to introduce me to him. So, you know, he brought me backstage and Richard was there like lounging on a couch, just playing incredible guitar, just being super relaxed and super cool. And, and just playing like song after song. It was just like, this is such a privilege to be here. And we were, you know, gonna like give him a space and um, head out. And 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 uh, so we were saying our goodbyes and I said, well, he was he was wearing, you know, like those, those kind of like long shorts that come down, like, you know, my daughter calls them chants because <laughs> now she can't wear them. <laughs> but they're like shorts, but <laughs> but um but so he was wearing them and you know just like real casual and 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 then he stood up when we left and I said like you're you're not gonna wear that on stage, are you? tonight are you gonna wear those shorts and um I just <laughs> just felt like and I don't know why I just said like the most I, I don't know like I just felt like such an idiot I really was um you know that I, I've had it happen in the other way where I met someone who liked my music and they like basically offended me <laughs> by saying uh-huh. something and and I I finally kind of understood, you know, why, like, I, I just said, like, the first thing that popped in my head, and it just felt like really kind of insulting. And I was, <laughs> thankfully, he, he chuckled and was very, you know, like, wry about it and, and didn't make me feel bad. But I <laughs> thought, like, wow, that is just, I did not make a good impression. <laughs> <laughs> did he wear the shorts on stage? No, he didn't. Oh, no, okay. no didn't (laughs) (laughs) I guess you know you say these things like and there's so much going through your head like well we're in Santa Cruz and it's probably would be really fine you know like it's such a laid-back place and and um anyway but it was I did not mean to like talk about like fashion choices with him (laughs) (laughs) but that was anyway so any, any, any shameful stories from your end? <clears throat> shameful. Oh, sure. I, I'm well, I'm trying to think. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure that I've probably embarrassed myself um, pretty handily in front of, of people who I really admire. Um, although I, I, you know, like kind of on the, on the flip side, I mean, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people for, cause I, do some journalism and um, it's really interesting to like talk to these people who you admire so much and you realize exactly how human they are. Uh So like I was doing this um, and just how weird they are too. I was doing this story on NRBQ, who's like one of my absolute favorite bands. And it was right around the time that, Terry Adams was taking the name, but not the other guys with him out on tour. And they were sort of in a fight. Um, And Tommy Artelino was really sick. And uh, this was like right before he, um, before he passed away. And so I was 
calling all of the guys from NRBQ to do interviews with them, which was like super exciting. And I was totally spazzing. And, um, you know, and, and like each one of them is so different. Like their their dispositions are, are like Joey is like almost, you know, just like most laid back kind of guy. He's almost like just, you know, he's really, really chill. Um, whereas Terry Adams is like just kind of exactly as insane so as wired. he is on stage. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, so yeah, yeah, and I spoke to Terry, like, and I, I had a great call with him and he was really, you know, upbeat and, and, you know, just like kind of speedy and, and like, you know, talking a lot, but then he, he kind of just kept calling me like, cause he had more things that he wanted to get off his mind. <laughs> and so I would be like out and about and I would see that like Terry Adams was calling my cell phone, which is just like the strangest thing to have to deal with because it's like, well, I guess Terry Adams is calling me now and who I, you know, is a deity to me. Um, and then, yeah, you know, Absolutely. but he just wanted he had one more thing to add to, to his, his <laughs> remarks and they'd have to figure out a way to like set up my recording equipment really quick so I could get him. Um, but he's exactly what, you know, you'd expect him to be. Um, so that was, that was actually really cool. And that was a really fun set of interviews. And Al Anderson is like really nice and just very Southern charming kind of guy. And um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the cooler ones. I'm, try I'm trying to come up with a good one where I really, really humiliated myself though. Um, <laughs> gosh, I, I wish I had come prepared with well, a, a good... Well, there's really still story. time to, 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 you know, when shows start up again, and I'm sure there'll be there'll be chances to <laughs> to to screw up big time. <laughs> it's gonna happen for sure. It's it's bound to. So I I mean my understanding, like you know, like actually the way that I met you and Eric, who I also admire very much, and and you know before um, you know we were like friends and, and, you know, worked together on stuff and played shows together, like was because I got to share a bill with you because you invited me to open for you um, at the jam in Java in Vienna, Virginia. Oh, right, um, right. And um, so I was, I was, you know, obviously super nervous to do that, but like, it's so cool when like somebody who you really admire reaches out and you get to play a bill with them. And so, I mean, like I have to think having read your memoir, uh, but also like just knowing who you are, that you probably shared some pretty big bills with some people who maybe you admire or maybe don't admire. Like, do you have any good stories from the road? Well, I guess, um, I, you know, I, I did get to do some good opening slots, uh, you know, first with the band last roundup that I had um, back in the eighties and we were, you know, a country, we, we called ourselves urban hillbilly, but it was <laughs> country punk. Some people called it or cow punk. Um, now they just call it like Americana, but um, we got to play some pretty good bills with like, we played with Bill Monroe. That was, I think maybe nice. one of the most memorable and, um, and that was uh, at this club called Fitzgerald's in Houston. And um, Bill pretty much hung out on on the tour bus, but we were sharing the dressing room with with the Bluegrass Boys, who like at the time just seemed like, oh my God, they're like men my father's age. You know, they're at least <laughs> forty, and um, and you know they were like getting dressed, they're putting, you know, just like, and they wore those amazing suits and. Um, I just, it, it just felt really kind of like, you know, should we, should we really 
should we be here? <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like they had, they were like serious, you know, mm -hmm. musicians who had like worked so long and hard and, and, and just like took it so, so seriously. And I mean, not to say we, you know, we, we took it seriously too, but it was kind of a lark at the same time. So, um, I just remember one of the guys like actually had like, I don't know, it was like a girdle or like one of those, you know, things that people who've had a hernia wear. And, and it just was like, this is, you know, I, I, I just felt like we entered this whole other universe of, <laughs> of like grown men that we mm -hmm. just like had not earned uh, that, <laughs> that right to be there. But um I think, um, yeah, definitely some of the some of those some of those country artists. Um, we just felt felt like they'd, you know, to get where they were, you know, um, they they'd just done so much and worked so hard, and 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 so it was it was always very intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess, um, yeah. Uh, getting to do a tour with Warren Zevon that that was you know walking into the dressing room the first night in Minneapolis and and uh you know it was just like super cold out and uh, it was like January and um just walking in there and and just like thinking you know I'd seen him do a sound check you know so I kind of like established you know that he was like a real person and there but he was just sitting there and and he was just so so nice he was really kind to me and and um just made me feel really welcome and he was funny and um but I was always so I felt so shy and intimidated around him I um you know did all these shows with him and we'd hang out and he was always you know like we ate together sometimes and um but then um, about a year later, I, he was playing in Nashville and uh, I went to see him and Jill Sobule was opening. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and like she fucking brought him out on stage. He sang Jackson with her. And, and I was like, oh my God, like I would never have had the nerve to ask him to like come out and accompany me or like do a <laughs> song together. But but maybe I should have, you know, I guess I, it, I learned something there. And that is like, don't, you know, they, like you said, like your, your heroes, you know, they're, they're like people too. And, and they're just as shy, you know, if they're a performer and an artist, chances are they're as like shy and, and kind of like um, insecure as, as we are. And, and they're kind of like, they, they don't want to impose themselves on you, you know, just like you don't want to like impose yourself on them. And so, yeah, I just felt like, Oh damn, like <laughs> <laughs> why didn't I like ask him to play something with me? And I don't know, but anyway, you know, you live and learn these things. I, you know, I am. That's, that's amazing. Actually, that's audacious that she did that. And she actually got him to she's do a ballsy, it. She's a ballsy woman, you know, she like, sure she's is. Really got, like, she's just, she's, I admire her tremendously and probably felt like terrified. I, the, I actually went into the studio when she was mi mixing. I kissed a girl. 
mm-hmm. her, you know, original uh, song um, back in the nineties um, was working with a producer that I knew in Nashville. And I went in there while they were mixing that song at the Wood- Woodland studios in Nashville and, um, and met her. And I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> afraid to meet her but you know she's just she's got she's got nerves of steel she's got balls she's she's really you know cool in that way not to say she doesn't get like scared and stuff too but she just like pushes through amazing um so is there anybody who you wish you could have met that um either was a missed opportunity because they're no longer with us or I guess, yeah, Tom Petty, for sure. I mean, back when he did the Fillmore stand in San Francisco back in the 90s, late 90s, he had a different act every night, a different mm-hmm. artist or band open. And I was like on the short list to like be one of the openers. And it was just like, oh, my God, I would have I would have loved that. But um, I just always... I, even I wrote that song Tom Petty Karaoke and yeah. one of the lines is um, I always thought we'd meet maybe we did maybe we did because it seems like we should have yeah what about totally. you I I wish that I could have met Joe Strummer um, mm-hmm. I just you know I wish that he was still here in general I, I've been, I think about him a lot and I, I think like, man, what would Joe say right uh-huh. now about what's going on? You know, and I, I think that to myself often. And I, I just think he seemed like a, just a very cool and sort of, you know, overall great human. And um, maybe he'd be a little out of it, but I think I could hang with, with a little out of it. And he just, I just think he would be nice. And I just admire him so much. And I, you might, did you actually meet him or are you just in a room with him? I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't um, actually meet him, but, but, scene in my book after the after we saw the clash play at the palladium in new york city and then there was this big party going on down on second avenue and um everyone was just like on a high from seeing the clash for the first time and and then um you know someone said like the clash are here and you know like (laughs) in my mind and this I could have made this I mean they definitely did come but Mm -hmm. you know in my mind they're like framed in this freight elevator like on a record cover you know like um just silhouetted you know like um and you know and then they just like went and grabbed a beer so um but I but I didn't actually get to get to meet him but you know it felt felt like he would they seemed cool and like super nice and like not, it, it seemed like everybody was just going to like have, have a good time together. And they, they, I mean, by, I'm sure they got like more like famous and all that and maybe became more intimidating, but they just Mm -hmm. seemed like guys um, (laughs) who had just like blown our minds. And so So (laughs) they were guys and gods at the same time. Man. Um, I was, uh, it it seems like we have a mailbag question. Oh, mailbag. Yeah. What's the first album you remember listening to as a child that made you think you wanted to be a musician? Oh, that's a really, uh, cool question. Um, my 
dad listened to a lot of classical music, listens to a lot of classical music. And I was um, taking piano lessons at the time, but was not really all that serious about it. And then mm-hmm. I think he played me, it, I, I can't remember the exact record or recording, but um he played some Beethoven sonatas and I was very like blown away by like, Oh, you know, like you can do more than just play like the St. Elmo's fire theme song. Like (laughs) show I've never seen, but somehow know how to play the theme too. Um, So um, I think when I realized like that there's this instrument that has this tremendous capacity and I, you know, was allowed to take lessons. I, I became a little bit more serious about it. Obviously I'm not a very good class classical musician. Um, but I, I, I took it really serious for a long time. And I think that was the, the little key turner for me, which is, you know, maybe a little bit pretentious, but I would be lying if it wasn't, you know, listening to classical music with my dad and just trying to, uh, to be better. Wow. That's, How about you? Um, well, it's interesting um, that they say albums, because like, as a child, you know, I grew up in the 60s, and it was really more singles, that, that grabbed me like all the all the great kind of songs that I'd hear on the radio like Ode to Billy Joe and um, Sign Sealed Delivered you know just like all, all kinds of like pop songs but um, but my parents had and there wasn't album albums didn't like become a thing to me until like the early 70s and you know that was like Led Zeppelin and the Who, Quadrophini. I remember I had an older brother, still do, but like, and he kind of brought these albums home. And, and of course, like Elton John's albums were kind of like my first albums. But my parents, I, I, I remember so well um, that Burt Backrack album, Reach Out. And it was, <laughs> and it was the one, you know, like he sings on that one. And it's just got like those film strips and, and I just like, and there's him like kind of, you know, conducting and playing the piano, you know, just so it didn't make me think I was going to be a musician, but it just I like that whole world of music. And um, mm-hmm. that, that, that was definitely one of those albums. And and then of course, um, you know, that uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, you know, the, that whipped cream and other delights, you know, like who didn't like stare at that woman covered in whipped cream for just like, you know, just days on end and go, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever play music, but like whatever world these people are in that came up with this, I like I want part, I want to be part of that world. Um, yeah, yeah, that one was big in our <laughs> house too. Actually, I guess they just came if you bought a, a home in the suburbs or something. Like there was just a copy of it just left behind because yes. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I found a picture the other day on the internet of well, I did go to a record store in Philadelphia a couple years ago and he had like a whole section that was nothing but that album. It was just <laughs> like every rack, every you know, it was just like the wall was covered with them and, and then I, I found a I found a photo of a shop that, you know, they had an installation at one point where where just like every rack had nothing but <laughs> copies. Like there are so many copies of that album out out there and uh it's 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 
never, never gets old. Yeah, I, I would love to, I guess, this would be a really boring podcast, but to interview the person who was involved in like the distribution chain of that, such that like, because they're just being sold back to every record store now, I guess right. that's where they have a zillion copies of it. Um, so I'd be wondering, like, I would be interested to know, like, why did they decide to press like, I don't know, apparently 10 million copies of... And you know, of- you know what strikes me, and I don't know how this this could be a whole other part of it. I mean, the whole podcast could be devoted to that album. Why there are so many different colors of green, like every, like you could get 10 copies and each one would be a completely different color. Now is it, but it's all green, but it's just like slight variations. And is it because they were stored in the sunlight or not, or just it's the printing like, like they must have printed them in like a hundred different places and every, you know, every uh, printing configuration of like, however the ink flowed, it just like turned into like a slightly different color of green. It's, it's really, you just never knew so many of the same color could be so different. No, it's it's incredible. Just considering how small like production is at this point and how it's like not anything like, I mean, I guess I'm speaking from the sort of indie perspective of it all that like, you know, not a lot of people are printing vinyl anymore. And so like, and you're not doing you know, millions and millions of copies at various plants. And so, right, exactly. um, so it seems like a relic of, you know, this re- recording industry when there was like actually a recording industry and people really wanted this Herb Alpert record, maybe, or I don't know, maybe it was yeah. just a. And pressing plants just all over the place, just like, you know, cranking out these and these jackets that were all like slightly different, but all had the whipped cream. Oh. <laughs> very very bold album cover and uh yeah well maybe we can tackle that next week but um i don't know this was this was fun it was fun talking to one of my heroes so um i'm glad that we got to discuss heroes today so and i i love uh you know i i i see you tweet about these like different albums and um, different artists and and you did a great one about John Cale um, yesterday that just made me want to go down a whole John Cale rabbit hole and um, that was another book I just read was Betsy Johnson's memoir oh, nice. and, uh, and she um, had been married to him and she called him her favorite husband she was married oh wow she was married a couple times and um and so she was sort of like a childhood idol of mine. She she came to when I went to Parsons. She came and talked talked to the school at the new school. And and one of my friends like stood up and said like, "What was it like being married to Kale?" <laughs> no <laughs> Which is something you know, just like you were married to John Kale, and it was you know it was kind of cool that he asked her that because that's what we all wanted to know. 